Turning to Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, the city expects 100,000 people this weekend for President Trump's campaign rally and the city's Juneteenth celebration. Just days before President Trump's campaign rally in Oklahoma, the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, telling the Daily Beast overnight, no, when asked if he would attend a large rally. That's a tremendous honor for our city to be highlighted in that way. And I'm very grateful. Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum saying it wouldn't be right to turn the president away. What I don't think that we can do is say as a state for six weeks we're going to follow this reopening plan and then say, oh wait, President Trump's coming to town, we're going to change the plan. We begin in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where U.S. President Donald Trump has addressed thousands of supporters at an indoor arena, despite concerns it could become a super spreader event for the coronavirus. As it turns out, attendees who wanted to social distance were able to do so. Contrary to predictions, the 19,000-seat venue would be sold out. There were plenty of empty seats. On June 20th, President Donald Trump relaunched his re-election campaign with a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The event became controversial, as some said it was the wrong time to be holding a mass gathering during the continued spread of COVID-19. While the crowds were well below initial predictions, health officials said they remained concerned it could spark a spread of the virus. The rally also set off political controversies, including for Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. And on this week's episode of Listen Frontier, we revisit the Tulsa Trump rally and look at both the health and political fallout. I'll be joined by the Frontier's editor-in-chief, Dylan Goforth, to discuss the political implications of the rally, while the Frontier's Cassie McClung joins me to talk about the health impact and the last three weeks in COVID-19 trends. Dylan Goforth is the editor-in-chief of The Frontier, and on June 20th, he and I were inside the BOK Center in Tulsa to cover Trump's rally. A few weeks after the event, after some of the political dust had settled, so to speak, I spoke with Dylan about the rally's impact on Tulsa politics, including its mayor. So Dylan, you know, rallies are typically kind of quick events. The president parachutes in, quickly leaves, and everyone goes about their business. But why was June's Trump rally in Tulsa different? It, it was different for a number of reasons. I mean, it, they, in, I, I think that they were hoping to avoid maybe showdowns between protesters and um, people who were attending the rally. And so one thing that they did to make that happen is put uh, or allow guests to enter the, the rally zone and then enter the BOK center. I mean, like seven hours you know, as much as seven hours before Trump spoke. So um, it was an all day thing. I mean, it had even like a little bit of a festival atmosphere. There was a concert outside for a little bit. There were food trucks, um, you know, people handing out water. And so it was a, it was an all day event, you know, not even taking into account people who camped for days, um, you, you know, to get entry, thinking they were going to have to get in early. And, and also, um, you know, people who just showed up early. I mean, we got out there at eight o'clock and there were already 
you know, a thousand people kind of milling around, um, trying to find where the entrances were to the rally zones and stuff in case they needed to line up. So it was a, it was an all day thing. I mean, I don't think our day ended until close to midnight or one o'clock. You know, and, and it's common that the, you know, political universe to some degree will follow the president wherever, wherever he goes. But this really felt like the political world had centered on, on Tulsa, not just the day of the rally, but kind of in the days leading up to it. Why was that? Yeah, I mean, you know, with everything that's been going on with the, I mean, you're talking about the coronavirus and you're talking about protests over police, you know, brutality. And then especially, um, you know, Tulsa's history with, with racism and um, high profile officer involved shootings and the fact that the rally was, you know, first scheduled on Juneteenth and that the BOK Center is maybe, you know, less than a mile from the Greenwood District where Black Wall Street, you know, burned in the uh, race map. I mean, there were just so many different storylines that all converged on on one specific place, and it 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 was just so bizarre to me that it was it was very strange to live through that day. You know, having that take place in your city. You know, so you wrote an article following the rally, and you you said that it was a a political and public health experiment. So let's look at both sides of that coin uh, for a moment, starting with the political implications. And you know, the the politician that maybe was the most affected was Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum. Yeah, he, you know, that was a lot of the stories sort of leading up to, I mean, obviously leading up to the event and after the event, you know, on a national level were focused on um, the Trump campaign and Trump and what, you know, he had put on the line. But I was more interested in, um, you you know, especially Bynum. I, I mean, his, you know, he sort of expect Trump to sort of, you know, his, his style is to be, you know, in rhetoric and to be divisive and to, to be loud. And uh, you sort of expect him to, you know, to maybe um, to put, you know, a lot on the line for the first political rally amid the you know, coronavirus outbreak. But I was more interested in, you know, I mean, there was a lot of political uh, capital that Tulsa's mayor put on, you know, on the line to allow the event to take place as it did. And, um, to me, that was the more interesting. I mean, obviously, I'm you know reporting on it from a local level, so that it, it stands to reason that's more uh, interesting to me. But I mean, that was Biden himself. Is just he's a unique, um, I think, character in the Oklahoma political landscape, and he put, and maybe his hand was forced to some degree, but he put a lot on the line for this rally. And when it went off the way it did, you know, with you know a, a very underwhelming crowd, and it just seemed like there was people were going to question, you know, whether it was worth it, even just from, you know, a, a smaller scale, um, you know, his political, whatever his political aspirations are, his career, was it worth it, you know, for him to sort of, you know, lay down the red carpet for Trump to come to town? And, you know, on one hand, it's not risky to hold a, a Trump rally in Oklahoma. I mean, this is a state that he carried quite comfortably is expected to, to do so again this year. But, you know, when you go into the urban centers, you start to see a little bit more uh, of diverse political opinions. It's the case in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. You know, the one thing that's interesting about Bynum, and he has kind of been a Republican that has got attention for doing things that people wouldn't expect a Republican to do, or at least that mainstream media finds surprising. I mean, he was profiled, I, I believe, in the Washington Post for, uh, you know, kind of his work in, in the Tulsa race massacre uh, mm-hmm. You know, movement in recent years, uh, you know, and that's kind of similar here in Oklahoma City with Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt. They're, you know, they're both Republicans, but they're mayors. So there's there's less politics and partisan politics involved. But at the same time, 
you know, they do things that you, that some people say are shocking. I'm not sure if that's that's an accurate description or not. But Bynum was kind of forced to reckon with the president on this one. Yeah, I mean, that's that is exactly why the whole situation is so interesting to me because you know Bynum, he um, he's obviously, I mean, he's a Republican. He has you know background with you know Jim Inhofe. I mean, there's no you know those aren't secrets, but he has gotten attention and you know the reason he was elected in the first place he went up against um i think someone that people considered a strong incumbent you know with a lot of ties to the oil and gas industry and to the city Tulsa. you know when Biden was first elected in 2016 he was an underdog and the reason um you know that people in his uh that you know helped with his campaign thought that they won is because he appealed to both Republican and Democrat voters. I mean, you know, they're not typically in Tulsa, a lot of, um, you know, liberal candidates for mayor, Democrat candidates for mayor. It's, that's not something that's, uh, that happens very often. And he, because of the way he is very, uh, the way he communicates that, you know, the, the ideas that he has on, you know, what Tulsa needs to move forward, forward, you know, talks about uh, reforms and using data to make decisions. I mean, it was something he appealed to, um, to both sides to some degree, the rare, you know, politician that could do that. And that's what I thought was so interesting about this. I mean, he, like you said, he had gotten, he just in the month leading up to the rally had, had been profiled in, you know, various like national um, uh, news outlets about his response to the coronavirus, you know, shutting Tulsa businesses down, um, even as, you know, the governor was encouraging people to go out and continue eating at restaurants. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the Tulsa race massacre, the search for mass graves is, is still ongoing, that he's sort of spearheaded. And so he is, he has a background of a sort of, you know, being someone who is palatable to everyone. And then the Trump rally happens and he sort of, you know, he got put between a rock. It was, it was between a rock and a hard place. You know, what do you do? And I think you and I talked about this at one point. I, the, the feeling with the Trump campaign, especially, is that when they come calling, you your first uh, response has to be a strong response, no matter what it is. It's you've got you you can't blink, or they they you know run over you. And it seemed like, you know, with the way that the curfew went, um, you know, with Bynum putting a curfew in place angering many Tulsans by putting the curfew in place late one night, you know, he's Trump tweeting out literally the next morning, Hey, no curfew tomorrow, you know, um, and, and taking that, you know, the whole thing away from Biden himself. I mean, it just seemed like that maybe that Tulsa blinked a little bit in front of the Trump campaign. And then when you do that, it's over, you know, they're in control. And it seemed like that's probably what happened to some degree. Yeah. And challenges are going to be intensified this year because it's an election year. Um, and I got to be honest, yeah. I hadn't really, you know, someone who's not necessarily the most on top of Tulsa politics, I hadn't really uh, thought about the fact that there was a mayoral race or mayoral election in Tulsa this year until this rally. Mm-hmm. And you started to hear from people who said they were going to run against him. What is Bynum's yeah, standing going into this uh, election this year? I mean, I still think it would be, you know, it would be an upset if he didn't. If, if he didn't win, just because, I mean, it's almost funny to think about the way the roles have reversed because when he was elected in 2016 and, and when he defeated Dewey Bartlett, like I said, he was the underdog and he relied on the support from, um, you know, younger 
progressive voters with progressive ideas who thought this is our best chance, you know, to to have these things take place in Tulsa and in the mayor's office. And um, and now four years later, because of I mean, mainly because of this this rally and the fact that, you know, he seemed to almost contradict himself and his own um, beliefs on the uh, on the way to handle the coronavirus, but, you know, by allowing this rally to go off with the way that it did. Um, because of the rally, it's that the situation has flipped. Now the young progressive voters who, you know, almost gleefully like voted him in. I mean, it was, it was, you don't typically see, you know, mayoral elections take that path. Um, they've turned, you know, and they are now looking for other candidates to support. And I don't think it's probably too late in the game. I mean, who knows? But you, you, you know, candidates emerge two months two months before an election and then win the election. But it's, I mean, his support, his base of support has, has more than likely changed and where you'll get to this election and he'll be the, rather than being a, a, the Republican who is sort of like palatable to both sides, he's the establishment, you know, Republican candidate now who the, the Tulsa, you know, conservative base will support against the younger, you know, progressive, um, you know, more progressive candidates. So it's just, it's just interesting to me to see how it's not even, you know, someone said the other day that, that the, the race had changed in a matter of four years, you know, how people viewed Bynum 2016 to 2020 had, had changed, but really it had changed in two months. I mean, yeah. um, just, uh, I, I just think the box that you, that he fits in now is, is different. And it's really just entirely because of this rally. So as you said, I mean, Bynum, you know, kind of goes to bat for the president and coming to Tulsa amidst this pandemic. Um, but it didn't seem like the Trump administration or the campaign uh, kind of re- returned that favor in the days after. Yeah, I mean, no matter what you think of the, you know, the rally itself or Bynum or his response, I mean, he did stick his neck out, you know, essentially for uh, the Trump campaign in, you know, allowing it to go off the way it did and by, you know, supporting, um, you know, even if just quietly, the full uh, capacity crowd that the Trump campaign wanted. Um, And then obviously when it didn't, uh, you know, the crowd didn't fill up. I know you and I were looking at each other as we were waiting for Trump to take us. Like, are people going to, are more people coming in? Is this it, you know? And in the day after, day or two after, I mean, I thought it was really interesting that people locally were, you know, at this point, um, really attacking Bynum. I mean, even today, he can't tweet or post something on Facebook without people talking in their comments about, you know, the Trump rally. And so he really didn't put a lot on the line for on behalf of that rally. And because of the attendance numbers being as um, low as they were, the, the campaign, you know, immediately a day or two after, started blaming Tulsa for the um you know, the low uh, attendance and they blamed the curfew. They said, you know, the, that the city was too strict, you know, um, and putting in that curfew. Well, they, you know, Biden said, well, we did that on behalf of the, the secret service. You know, we did that at the request of essentially the campaign, um, the campaign blamed um, Tulsa police, you know, so that they, they kept thousands of people out because they were blocking off um, entrances, which I mean, no, no reporter who was there saw anything like that. And so it was, you know, Tulsa put a lot on the line for that rally to make it happen. And when it looked, you know, it sort of as bad as it did in the aftermath, 
the campaign turned on Tulsa, and it, now it wasn't just you know it, the Tulsa citizens that were criticizing the mayor or the police department. It was the campaign who they essentially worked on behalf of had turned against them. And so it just, you know, from a local point of view, it just seemed like outside of the fact that, you know, there were no, uh, you know, big confrontations between protesters and people who attended the rally, it just sort of bugged the question of like, you know, did anything good come of this? Like, was it worth it at all? Um, if it only, you know, cost everyone, um, you know, if, if not in reputation only, I mean, you know, we're still yet to see the, the public health outcome of having however many thousand people inside an arena for seven hours. So Cassie, I spoke with Dylan about the political fallout of the Trump rally, but what has been the health impact or, or do we even know yet? Yeah, so, you know, we've been watching the COVID numbers in Oklahoma and we know that Oklahoma has regularly been breaking new highs and new cases. Um, the seven day moving average for new cases has been reaching new highs, I think at least over the last week. Um, but looking at Tulsa County specifically, so Tulsa Health Department Director Bruce Dart said Wednesday at a press conference that the rally, along with protests and other large gatherings that day, um, such as some Juneteenth celebrations, likely contributed to the spike that Tulsa County has been seeing. And Tulsa County has regularly been reaching new highs in new coronavirus cases, and just for context, on Monday, the county reported 261 cases, which was the highest yet just for Tulsa County. And the week before the Trump rally, there were 76 cases on that Monday. Hmm. So definitely an increase in cases. Um, the health director said there's some indications there that the two might be connected. And he said they were just connecting the dots, you know, on the timing. They're seeing all these new cases now, the Trump rally uh, was a couple weeks ago, so it seems like I think they're just drawing from that and I guess just making simple conclusions that that probably contributed. Yeah, and so when you look at the like the graph that shows the seven day average, and you've been tweeting that mm -hmm. out every day when the new numbers come out, you see that there was a pretty significant increase going into June twentieth. So we were already seeing, um, you know, a, a dramatic rise in the number mm -hmm. of new cases on that seven-day average. And that brought a lot more attention to the rally. I mean, should we be doing this when, when we're seeing these kind of numbers? But then when you look after June 20th, I mean, the spike continues. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it kind of looks like there it may have plateaued a little bit around the rally and then went back up. I mean, of course, you can't look at this chart and come come away with any definitive conclusions. But the reality is that since, that, since the rally, uh, we haven't seen the the increases slow down much at all. Right, exactly. Seems like every day almost, um, you know, it did plateau a little bit around the rally, but we've been seeing that seven-day moving average uh, increase. And, you know, you're having thousands of people, you know, going back to the rally, thousands of people standing closely together. You know, most of them aren't wearing masks. So this wasn't unexpected, and health experts we're sounding the alarm on this before the rally even occurred. And when you look at like CDC guidelines and recommend recommendations, when you really actually take take the time to, to read through, you know, 
their suggestions on on not just saying social distance, but what does social distancing look like? When you mm -hmm. read through, it's easy to go through each each recommendation and be like, man, we, I mean, I'm seeing 10 examples a day of how we're not doing this. And of course the rally was kind of an example of that as well, but um, our, our normal lives are still, I don't want to say violation because the CDC guidelines <laughs> are not laws, but we're, you know, the, their, their recommendations are not being followed by everyone. And I was reading mm -hmm. recommendations today for schools and I'm thinking like, I, I don't know how it's going to be done. I don't know how, you know, based on what the school environment is and, you know, my mm -hmm. own son's classroom, I don't know how you, how you achieve this. Right. Exactly. And I know there's been a lot of focus on this rally and what kind of fallout health wise there could be from it. But, you know, you know, as you know, we've been talking about on these podcasts regularly, the state started its last phase of reopening on June 1st. So while the rally likely contributed to the surge we're seeing, you know, I think most of what we're seeing occur as far as new cases and increasing hospitalizations goes, it's just, it's from people going back to their normal lives, maybe, you know, in closer spaces, uh, just community spread in general, I think. Yeah. You know, Dylan talked about the political impact as it relates to uh, Mayor Bynum and just kind of the, the, the political talk that was happening at the time. But I want to ask mm -hmm. you kind of about the political health aspect of this, because as we've talked about before, you know, the, the coronavirus has obviously become a partisan issue like many things are today, uh, whether we're talking about masks or, or shutting down businesses. We were hearing from the governor at the time that, hey, we're reopening cases. We're going to go up, but everything's fine. We just need to continue to practice basic social distancing. Since then, we've actually seen him, you know, increase a little bit in, in, in what he has said, including, you know, not just recommending that masks be worn, but showing off his own own mask. So it seems like in this post-rally world, not that the rally, you know, that this is a direct co correlation or connection to the rally, um, but even locally, we've we've seen leaders maybe speak, um, express a little bit more concern, but but not but not entirely. I mean, we're still moving forward. Um, but we we heard last week from the governor that uh, you know he even more strongly suggesting that we wear masks. Yeah, I mean, aside from coronavirus, obviously it's become a very partisan issue. It I, for governors, it's been kind of a balancing act between keeping the pandemic under control, if you could say that, and then, you know, also keeping the economy going. It's, you know, we've seen it in, I guess a good example would be Texas. You know, they opened up a little after we did, and I know their governor has gotten a lot of pushback, um, you know, for not acting quickly enough on mask mandates and such. So I think, you know, Officials are trying to kind of walk this fine line between keeping people healthy and not closing down businesses again. Because, you know, especially in those rural areas, I think people don't want to see that happen again. Yeah. You know, even with the less than expected uh, size of the crowd, uh, it was still a pretty large gathering, both inside mm -hmm. and outside. And, you know, arguably the largest gathering we've had over the last, you know, four, four or so months. Have health officials said anything else about other gatherings on a, of a smaller scale? I mean, whether it's churches or, or concerts or mm -hmm. other events, are, are there other things that they're, that they're, that they've talked about or have, uh, have addressed? Yeah. So Oklahoma city, I, I believe it was last week, mayor David Holt 
um, he issued an order or a mandate requiring that venues with tiered style seating, which could include concerts and churches, um, stagger the seating. You know, they space out, you know, they put some empty seats in there. They maybe close every other row. So, um, you know, that kind of created some social distancing mandates in those uh, areas. And then last week as well, Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum, um, so events over 500 people will need an approved safety plan from the Tulsa Health Department to occur. So, I mean, that's as far as I've heard for kind of putting more mandates on large gatherings, large events so far. Um, I know that people are kind of looking for more mandates. Some people are around COVID-19 because as cases increase, people are hoping to see a mask mandate, but we haven't seen that, you know, obviously statewide. And I believe from no other cities other than Norman. Yeah. You know, I think it's an interesting question to ask. Would the Trump rally be able to pull, be pulled off uh, now or in a few weeks? Uh, I mean, yeah. you talk about the uh, Mayor Bynum in Tulsa and saying that these events need safety plans. I mean, that definitely would have been an interesting thing to consider if that was in place uh, back in June. Yeah, and I, I wonder that, too, because, you know, obviously the numbers are so much higher than they were back then. And um, we, you know, I, t- I was talking about Texas earlier, how their hospitals are really filling up. They've been seeing a huge surge of COVID-19 cases. I think it was yesterday, the Houston mayor canceled uh, the Texas GOP in-person convention. So it does seem like there are more decisions ma- being made to cancel these type of large political in-person events. So I, I, I don't think, and this is just me speculating, but I don't think it would happen um, if the president were to schedule a rally here next week. I'm not sure if um, the Tulsa mayor would allow it now. Well, I, I should say that, you know, we're having this conversation uh, Thursday afternoon. In a few hours, the governor is, is scheduled to give a press mm-hmm. conference of which he has, you know, done most weeks on kind of an update on, on the COVID-19 situation. I feel confident in us talking about his response before he talks today because in the past he has said that closing businesses again and mandating masks is not something he's even considering. So um, mm-hmm. if, uh, if if he does announce that later today, then you know we're, we're not addressing it in this conversation. But based on what he right. has said in the past, uh, we, we probably don't have much concern that this, uh, that this podcast is gonna be out of date after he speaks. No, no, exactly. I'm hoping this, you know, ages well by the, you know, tomorrow when it, this podcast comes out. But I don't think we will see. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that we won't see any mask mandates today, and I don't think we'll see any kind of rollback on reinstating any kind of restrictions around businesses. I think, you know, and this is me speculating again, but I think mostly what we're going to hear today is that, for the most part, hospitals are still feeling pretty comfortable uh, with handling COVID patients. That's going to do it for this week's episode. You can find all episodes of Listen Frontier by subscribing to this podcast feed. You can also find more of our journalism at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week. Thank you.